0: Yes, yes, yes. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Rob Safe Sports Podcast. And this is a championship episode of the Rob Safe Sports Podcast because we are talking about the 2020 World Series champion Dodgers. Unbelievable. I cannot believe it. They were able to beat the Rays in game six, three to one. Oh my God, it was crazy. I'm still on that high from Tuesday night. I could not believe that it's been 32 years since the Dodgers won their last World Series in 1988. 1988, 32 years. It took all that time to get to the top and boy, was it a great feeling when Julio Urias was the top of the ninth one strikeout and another strikeout and I had a tear in my eye when Julio Arias pitched that third strikeout to end the game and to win the series it was the most I was overcome with emotion I could not hold out all the heartbreak all the losses all the disappointing finishes and all it's a accumulate all to that one moment where they were able to win the World Series for a long, long time. It was a surreal moment and I don't think any Dodger fan and any LA fan will have a better feeling than what we had Tuesday night. And so with that, I think you know we got to recap this entire season in a short amount of time. With the season in jeopardy, back in March where they had to postpone the season there were talks like disagreements and ownership and the players trying to figure out when would the time when would be the best time to play and it just getting the time kept running the days kept going by and we never really heard when they were going to start playing and then they found out that they were going to st- play a 66 game season in July and you know having like 4 months 4 months off to actually start your season is not the type of season that any team would want to go through especially the Dodgers because of what happened the season before they were in the divisional series with the Nationals and really the Dodgers again were expected to contend for a World Series last season and it just ended in like another heartbreaking fashion that Dodger fans have been used to for the past couple years. And so coming into this season, even though it was an ex- a shortened season, the expectation for this team was still extremely high, especially with the addition of Hamuki Betts from the Boston Red Sox, a F- World Series champion, a MVP caliber player coming onto the team. It just raised those expectations to an even more daunting task that I think the players and myself felt like it was it was a championship robust season for this point. But they were able to get there. They were able to go all through the season, no major injuries or anything, and then they went into the playoffs with the number one seed, dispatching the Milwaukee Brewers in a sweep in the wild card series. And then advancing to the base, the San Diego Padres. And then ended up sweeping them. And then we get to the Atlanta Braves, which I'm still looking at. I'm still trying to think. I don't know how the Dodgers came back when they got all the way down, 3-1 down in the series and having to win three straight games. And watching those games, they were down, I think, in all 3 of those games and were able to come back and win and then especially in game 7 where they were down and ended up winning it with a Kike Homer to tie the game and then Cody Bellinger to give them the lead and punch their ticket back to the World Series and it felt like the Dodgers against the Rays the Dodgers probably were favored in this matchup but it felt it's still I still had those memories of just the expectation for the Dodgers and then having it just completely fall apart, hoping that they would be able to find the right combination, the right timing, the right almost everything for everything to go their way. And it did, you know, them beating, beating the Rays in six games, regardless of what you think of what happened throughout the season. Whether it's a shortened season and whether if you want to put a, a asterisk on this title, I a hundred percent disagree with you. This was probably one of the hardest World Series to win, especially for the Dodgers with the amount of pressure and expectation they had on them. But it felt it almost felt like every single player had their moment in the playoffs and even in the World Series, where you got Kershaw. Pitching two games in the World Series. Game 1 and Game 5. Both, I think, the most pressure games of those World Series. You're starting the World Series. And then you're starting Game 5. When after Game 4, it was just a just a whole bunch of errors to really cost you that game. And then for everyone to collect themselves. Especially for Kershaw. To bring home Game 5 and solidify His place as the best of all time in MLB Dodgers winning a championship and Kershaw finally finally getting that World Series that he's been looking to add on his potential Hall of Fame resume when he finally puts it up and hangs it up and I could not be more excited for him. You know, going through those playoffs in the past, those moments where it looked like he struggled and it almost hampered the team. And he was, he had so much put on him that he had to pitch perfectly for them to even have a chance to winning. And when he doesn't do that, the failure of the team falls on Kershaw, which, you know, it can be a little bit exaggerated. It can be. A little bit warranted for his play but for him being so dominant during the regular season it's just strange to see that uh, that caliber of a pitcher not pitch as well in the playoffs but you know the players you the, the team that you play in the playoffs is a lot better than the teams that you play in the regular season but you know I, I couldn't be more happy for him I think he he was one that truly truly deserves the world series and i am so happy that the dodgers and him were able to do it and let's not forget some key guys you know Corey seager the mvp of the world series mvp of the championship series you know he he has showed the type of player that he is and i think people forgot that because of the injuries the kind of injuries that kind of slowed down his progression to be the type of player that he is right now and Cody Bellinger I mean him winning MVP last season completely overshadowed but I think clearly I think Corey Seager has proven how much of a star that he really is and it's not surprising that he won the MVP but a lot of guys on this team had I think memorable moments especially the newly the new dodger mookie betts which he didn't hit well during the road series but he was making game saving plays one after the other making incredible catches in the outfield his base running just giving dodgers runs when needed and just making like timely hits in the playoffs and you know what he's got a 12 year contract i can honestly say that it was all worth it and I do not envy the Boston Red Sox right now looking at Mookie Betts in a Dodgers uniform holding another World Series trophy and then also with Dave Roberts you know the manager of the Dodgers he continuously gets criticized for the way that he manages the games especially when they don't do well in the playoffs you know he is the person that people look to for the Dodgers failures and I'm happy that he also was able to get that monkey off his back and win the World Series with the Dodgers and I don't think he's going to leave anytime soon. Yeah, I'm I'm just I've been on cloud 9 since Tuesday night. Like I still watch the replays over and over and over again looking just like putting myself on that Tuesday night and just being overcome with emotion and just almost with a sigh of relief that being here, being here in this city, being a Dodger fan my entire life, never experiencing a World Series championship and finally getting that feeling for the first time. It was something that I'm not going to forget. The context for this series was about you know the Dodgers with one of the highest payrolls in the league and the Tampa Bay Rays one of the s- lowest payrolls in the league but if you look at it closely a lot of the a lot of these guys on the Dodgers were homegrown talent you got you look at guys like Walker Buehler Clayton Kershaw Corey Seager Cody Bellinger Will Smith Julio Urías a lot of these pl- guys on the team came from the Dodgers organization so it really shows how well their farm system is how well they've been able to develop young players into quite frankly young up-and-coming superstars this point I mean if you want to talk about superstars Julio Urias was just a an elite level pitcher for them in the playoffs especially in the world series And in game six, giving them three shutout innings, a 24-year-old pitcher. I mean, he, I remember when they signed him, when he was 16 years old, just an unknown guy, and then coming, making his debut as a 19-year-old pitcher, pitching for the Dodgers. And you could tell, like, the type of talent that that kid had and what he could do, and he proved it during these playoffs. And I expect him to be a part of this team for a long, long, long time. I just, I just can't believe it, man. I can't believe that they were able to do it this year after being so close for the past three years, losing in 2017 to the Houston Astros, who cheated by the way, and also Rob Manfred. If you didn't know you are going to get booed during the championship celebration, I don't know what you're looking at. I don't know what you're thinking and what you thought the reaction would be for the MLB and especially Dodger fans to see you. So, I mean, that's that's on you, man. And then back in 2018, the Boston, losing to the Boston Red Sox with Mookie Betts on that team. Losing in 2019 losing very early to the washington nationals in the division series it just felt like this was the championship to get the monkey off the dodgers back for them to for them to have as much talent as they had over the past decades and to never win a World series until 2020 i think it meant a lot to this city and especially everyone on that everyone on the daughters who's been on this team for the past six and se- six or seven years that have been through all those like playoff disappointments and finally getting finally breaking through and winning that World Series I think that all those players are going to remember this time and that moment that night when they were able to celebrate for their first World Series in 32 years. And so, with the championship portion out of the way, we can talk about the other LA news in sports. And so, we can also talk about the Clippers because we haven't been on since the Clippers hired Tyron Lue to be their next head coach. You know, they had they them and Doc Rivers mutually agreed to part-raise, which it seemed like it was time. They're seemed that there was just something missing on that team and even with the additions of Kawhi and Paul George it still felt Doc wasn't able to get them over the hump and get them to that championship caliber team that they have been trying to get to but you know they're going through the interview process interviewing different coaches And it seemed like the likelihood of Tyronn Lue getting that spot, it almost was a guarantee. But, you know, I appreciate them for what it's worth that they were interviewing uh, other coaches for the job. Some of the coaches on that list that they were interviewing, I absolutely did not want to coach the Clippers. Guys like Mike Brown, uh, Jeff Van Gundy, and also Mike D'Antoni came up. I don't know there were there weren't a lot of guys available that fit what the Clippers were trying to do for their future and Tyron Liu was probably one of the best choices for the Clippers right now as far as still having that championship level coach and still being and not too much of an overhaul on the staff which by the way the staff that he's making, I could not be more excited because back in the other podcasts uh, with Ryan, I talked about you know the possibility of Chauncey Billups being the head coach for the Clippers based on his time, just his first year as the commentator, the play-by-play for the Clippers on Fox Sports. And it just felt like he had that type of knowledge to be... A very good coach, and he has that leadership as a player and winning a championship. And I think he understands how to manage superstar players with Kawhi and PG. And it felt like him coming onto the staff as the associate head coach, I think I'm very excited. I think that he's going to do well, and I think he will probably have a head coaching job sooner rather than later. And then also with the assistant coaches. You know, a lot of people were talking about uh, the Miami Heat assistant coach, uh, Dan Craig, and his time with Miami and the type of organization Miami has been. I think the Clippers really wanted to find, find guys that fit the type of mentality and a professionalism that was needed to put this team on the right direction that it needs and I think getting him also on the staff was a good pickup uh Kenny Atkinson who was pretty an underrated coach when he coached the Brooklyn Nets you know during that time they really had no one on the team and no high level draft picks so he was tasked to develop lower round picks and develop young talent and you know with all the trade rumors going on. I think it is it is still important to develop the young guys you have on your roster. You know, with the Clippers, you have Meandu Cavangeli, Terrence Mann, Amir Coffey. Those guys, you know, it's they could have a little bit more of a role next season for the Clippers. So, I think having him also on the staff was a really good pickup. And also, you know, Larry Drew, also a good assistant. I don't know... You know didn't have them a success as a head coach but having that much coaching experience and years in the NBA I think that's also beneficial especially for Ty, Ty Lu and Chauncey Billups so I think the Clippers are going in the right direction you know it didn't turn out the way that a lot of Clippers fans me included the way it went when they lost to the Denver Nuggets and it just seems like they don't need to make any major changes the front office did say that they are looking to do major improvements to the roster for me it doesn't feel like there needs to be that many improvements I just think more time with the group and more development more cohesiveness with this group can just only make it better yeah and so also with the draft coming up I'm gonna I'm going to look into kind of like some of the prospects and kind of give a breakdown for them and, you know, maybe some steals in the draft. Because it's always interesting to look at the draft and breaking down players, you know, especially with those players who haven't played a game since the beginning of March. So the draft is coming up in a couple weeks. And so the future podcast, I think we're going to have a couple players that we can break down every episode. I think that would be, I think that'd be a fun part of the show. Something that I've enjoyed doing when I was an assistant uh, coach, you know, breaking down film, breaking down people's strengths and weaknesses and something that they can improve on and just like little things that separates players. You know, I've always I've always enjoyed doing that stuff. So hopefully you guys will listen to that when I have that up on the next podcast for the Clippers during free agency because there are a lot of players that are free agents that were had big roles on this team. You have Jamichael Green, who you know, has been very good for them the past couple years. You know, he might be looking to get a bigger contract Uh, Marcus Morris, who they got during the deadline, who was very good in the playoffs, but not that great during the regular season. You also have uh, Montrezl Harrell, who is also a free agent, who is looking to really get a big, big payday for the free agency. But, you know, for his time in the bubble, it really, really tanked his his stock and free agency because it was at an all-time high during the season when he was averaging close to like 18 points coming off the bench he's the sixth man of the year for this season but you know with him getting late to the bubble him looking pro- probably out of shape because you know having him to restart and get back into NBA shape during the playoffs you know it was tough for him and it looked like he wasn't fully a hundred percent ready to go but you know Doc has been has stuck with him and unfortunately it looked like it came to hurt him during the playoffs especially when they played Denver when he was really just hemorrhaging the Clippers every time he was on the court and I don't blame montres Harrell for the most part because Doc Rivers wasn't putting him in those situations for him to succeed. But then also, if he's putting him in there, he wasn't producing the way that he did in the, in the regular season. And that's a big problem because he's so good on offense, but with him not being good on defense, it almost canceled it out on his effectiveness and then when he was struggling on offense in the playoffs that really his defense really hurt him and also the team and so and just the the reports coming out about teammates teammates frustrated with paula george and Kawhi, and i guess the treatment that they got you know looking at the players on the team the, the only person i could think of that would have that type of animosity with Paul George and Kawhi. It it sounds like it was Montrose Harrell. And I don't know if he would want to come back. I don't know if the Clippers would want him back. Just for the sake of not having those distractions anymore. Although he was very valuable for the Clippers during the regular season. It feels like in the playoffs his type of play... Can't be neutralized by the other team and it showed last season and it showed even more uh, this season but you know with a lot of factors going into the NBA season two with the bubble you could look at it in a way that you know Montrezaro wasn't at 100% during the playoffs and I think if he were 100% I think it probably would have played out differently and then at the same time it's just unfortunate that he's going into the off season as a free agent looking to get a big contract and it looks like he probably won't get the contract that he was probably thinking he was going to get during the season and then him not playing well in the playoffs I just don't see him getting a huge contract that he's looking for and so I feel like it's best for the Clippers you know, if you can sign and trade him, I think that's a good option. I don't know about investing a lot of money in Mantras Harrell it is a great idea for the Clippers. I think that you would either have to let him walk or, you know, the sign and trade with the team. But having him on the team on a shorter contract, but then also asking him... To take a lesser role you know i don't think that he wants to make that sacrifice that's just me thinking you know he's starting to go into his prime he's looking to have a career in this league and i don't know if he's willing to take a step backwards in his minutes and production and the stuff things that i think Lu is going to ask him to do so yeah it's going to be an interesting off season with the Clippers. They have a lot, they don't have a lot of cap space. They don't really have that much flexibility. They have some options on the back end of the roster that they can try and figure out. But it feels like without anything big happening, I think it's gonna be pretty much the same roster coming into next season. And I think whenever this season starts, I think it's important for this team to find that cohesion and find their voice as a unit during the regular season to get to the playoffs, not not try and coast through the regular season to try and flip the switch in the playoffs because we've seen already that that was not the recipe for success. So looking forward to it, looking forward to next season, and we will go from there. And so the last thing we're going to talk about is we're going to talk about the Rams. I don't think that anyone was looking at the Rams as a potential playoff team. I think a lot of people were thinking that the Rams were going to fall back into their division, especially with how stacked the division is with the Seahawks, the Cardinals, the Niners—probably one of the toughest divisions in the league right now. But you know they're sitting at five and two. Second in their division, only behind the Seahawks, which they haven't even played yet. You know, and you know you can look at the record and look at the type of wins that they've got, and you know it's the wins against teams you know the Dallas Cowboys, the Eagles, the Giants, uh, Washington teams that hindsight you know are probably one of the worst teams in their division, and also that is the worst division in in the NFL. And with the losses coming to good teams, with the Buffalo and the Niners, uh, this past game with the Chicago Bears, I think pretty much solidified like how good this Rams team is. You know, Jared Goff having a bounce-back season. The offensive line, you know, really has improved since past since this past season because last season it was just a lot of new guys in that. Front line, and when you have new guys on that team, you need be able to have time to adjust. And last season, you know they had to adjust during the season, and it really hurt their chances getting into the playoffs uh, last season. But you know it looks it looks like they figured out a way to be more effective and allow Jared Goff to make those passes. And with that, you know the Rams are interesting, where there isn't really a number one receiver. It really is whoever has the best matchup. And sometimes it's going to be Robert Woods. Sometimes it's going to be Cooper Cup. Uh, sometimes it was Gerald Everett. Sometimes it's the tight ends with Higby. And uh, last game with the Bears, it was uh, Josh Reynolds. And, you know, they've put themselves in a good position for the next, for the back half of the season because. You know, looking at it right now, it's the back half of their season is going to be a lot harder. You know, they're going to be facing their division uh, rivals with the Seahawks, the Cardinals, and the Niners. But if they can keep their momentum, if they can keep their effectiveness on the run and also on the catch... I think they have a very good chance of getting to the playoffs. and once you're in the playoffs, you know anything can happen. I don't think anyone was counting the Rams to be this good of a team right after uh, last season where it, where it looked like they were kind of dipping down and from that uh Super Bowl season uh, a couple of years ago where they were where they lost to the Patriots. I think a lot of people counted the Rams out, but I think, you know, they have looked good so far. They have found a formula that works with spreading out opportunities for all the wide receivers and all the running backs and all the tight ends. So the team, uh, the opposing team, is not having to, is not able to focus or pinpoint who the who the number one guy is on offense. So I think that helps them too. And I'm expecting them to do, you know, very well for the rest of the season, you know, trying to keep those expectations low in the beginning. But once they start showing me how good they can be, you have to put those expectations a little bit higher. So I hope that they keep this up. I think that they'll be able to keep it up and, I hope that they're going to get into the playoffs. And you know, the last thing that we want that I want to say is even though they're the team of LA, even though they're not technically the team that I root for, you know, I also think I also want to congratulate the LA Lakers for winning their championship in the bubble, you know, with that team getting there regardless of the opponents they had they played the team that was in front of them and they beat the team that was in front of them so you got to give their hats off to them too i'm not i'm not that kind of bitter where people aren't going to count this championship just because of the situation that they've been dealt with they were handed the same obstacles that every single team had during those playoffs and they were able to come out on top so you know no bitterness here on this podcast but congratulations to the LA Lakers. And you know, once again, congratulations to the Dodgers for winning a world series for the first time in 32 years. And hopefully LA can stay in one piece when we can all come together and celebrate those two championships for this year. Cause I think it meant a lot to the city. It meant a lot with what, what's been going on right now. It meant a lot to the LA community. People that have been struggling a little bit. And, you know, even though sports is not the most important thing in the world, it does give people some sense of togetherness. It's a big community that people come together. And, you know, LA is Title Town right now for 2020. I think that's, if you can look at the positives of this year, you could probably look at the two championships that the LA teams have won. So, congratulations LA we got it we got two and we're looking to get more in the future and so with that thanks everybody for listening again and we will see you next week on the Rob Save Sports Podcast